I call it following Jesus immediately. Because in the book of Mark, a book that is written primarily for a Roman audience, he uses that term immediately 35 of the 82 times that it's used in the Bible. Now, there are certain pluses and certain disadvantages when you do a series through a book. I think perhaps the main plus is the fact that your text is already determined. If you wanted to ask me, I could tell you for the next 21 sermons what my text will be for each sermon because it will just follow along in the text. Now, that's how it works with a sermon series on a Bible book. That's an advantage. One of my good friends, if I was to call him this Thursday and ask him what he's going to be preaching on, he would say, I have no idea. If I was to call him Saturday morning, he would say, I have no idea. He waits until Saturday night and he has to do something. He has to make a decision. That's when he decides on what he will preach the next morning. I don't have that problem. I know exactly what I'll be preaching on in the future. Now, a disadvantage. When you're preaching through a book in the Bible, you have to handle the hard sayings. There are passages in the Bible that are difficult, that are hard. Today's passage from Mark 10, verses 1 through 12, is one of those examples. It's difficult, it's a hard saying, not because I disagree with it. I totally agree with the words of our Lord, Jesus the Christ. It's a hard saying, it's a difficult passage, because I know that it hurts. I have a friend of mine who uh, lives in a very small town. Her husband had a midlife crisis, left her for his secretary, who was uh, about 20 years younger than he was, and divorced his wife. And I remember what she said to me one time. She said, Michael, if, if my husband had died... I could go to the cemetery, I could go to the gravestone, and that would be closure. But every time I see him here in town with that woman, it's like ripping off the bandage one more time. The hurt comes back one more time. So I know that this study today is going to be difficult. And I feel for you. I really do. Because it is difficult, let's start with some levity, okay? Let's start with a little levity. Let's look at four ways to divorce-proof your marriage. Let me tell you about the fictional story of Ralph and Janice. The story opens up with Ralph sitting in an airport waiting area, getting ready to board a plane. And he's talking, and he mentions that he's getting ready to celebrate his 50th wedding anniversary. One of the people there in the gate area is a young man who's about to get married. He says, wow, 50 years, uh, how did you do it? I'm getting married pretty soon and I'd like to know your secret. Ralph said, well, it's really simple. First, I've always respected her. Number two, I would take her on big trips, you know, on special occasions. 
For example, for our 25th wedding anniversary, I took her to Beijing, China. Wow, that is something. What are you going to do for your 50th? Well, I'm getting ready to get on the plane to go get her to bring her home. Okay, that's not the way to have a long marriage. But I want you to have a long marriage. This lesson today is for you. It's for our young people. Because I want each one of our young people to enjoy the benefit of a long, happy marriage. That's my hope for you, that you'll have that. So my audience is not really you, it's the young people. That's where I'm focusing in this morning because we have a problem in our country. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 2018 numbers, the couple's odds of reaching the 25th anniversary is only 45%. And the odds of reaching the 50th wedding anniversary is only 14%. Now, I'll be honest with you, part of that is because of death. You know, if, you're, if your spouse dies, you can't celebrate your 50th wedding anniversary. We understand that. But the reason why the big gap from 45 down to 14 is mostly because of divorce. It's because couples give up on marriage. There's a lot of pressure today. And I believe that we can help to divorce-proof marriage. There's a lot of things we can do. Number one, we can go through premarital counseling. I firmly believe that. I have been blessed to have done about a hundred couples in premarital counseling. The last one was Rachel and her husband. I believe in it because it is so vital. Let me give you two quick examples. One, go back about 20 years. I had a young couple that were about to get married. They're in the congregation I was serving. And I could see where there was potential for a lot of problems. I could see some big problems. I begged them to go through premarital work with me. Even to the point I got desperate. I I even offered to pay them. I said, I'll pay you $10 an hour to go through this. They rejected it. A few years into their marriage, those problems that I could see the potential of happening, happened, and divorce took place. On the other hand, another couple, going back about 10 years ago, once again, I saw them as uh, potentially having some problems. I asked them to go through premarital counseling with me. They agreed. And lo and behold, those problems did happen. But they had the tools to solve the problems. And today, they are still married to each other. So this morning, I am directing my attention to our young people. And may I say, the work I do is not me, it's God. Because the secret to my premarital work, the secret to my marriage enrichment work, is I show people how to put God 
in their marriage. That's Now, as we look at this lesson, I'm going to ask a big favor of you. Because as I said, for some of us, I know it hurts. But I want us to be, I want us to have the attitude that one man, that's one man had. I had that morning, I had preached a lesson on the problems of alcoholism. You may remember that lesson I did about, what, what, two years ago here? Well, it was basically that same lesson. As I was standing in the back of the building greeting people, I saw him out of the corner of my eye. He was making a beeline for me. In fact, he was walking very fast. I knew he had had a lot of problems with alcohol. He had, he had been on the wagon, off the wagon, back and forth so many times. I didn't know what he would say. He rushed up to me. He grabbed my hand and started shaking my hand. He said, Michael, thank you for sharing that lesson with our young people. Every young person here needed to hear that lesson. Everybody actually needed to hear that lesson. I'm so glad that you were able to share it. I only wish I could have heard it when I was 16. I want us to have that same kind of attitude. No matter what hurts may be in our hearts, I want us to look and say, I want the best for our young people. I want them to have a happy marriage. So how do do this. Let's go to Mark chapter 10. As I said, Mark is primarily written to a Roman audience. Now, the Roman world was really not a whole lot different from our world today. You see, when the Republic, when the Roman Republic went from the Republic to the Empire, when we started having what we call the Caesars, divorce rate skyrocketed. In fact, in the Roman world, under the Caesars, remember the Caesars, you had such a decadent lifestyle. Under the Caesars, they had even coined a word to refer to a woman who had at least five divorces. Who had at least five divorces in her life. That led Roman senator and philosopher Seneca to write this. Women, women were married to be divorced and divorced to be married. Let's look at Mark chapter 10. Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. We're going in the direction of what? We're going in the direction of Perea. This is an area ruled by a Herod, son of Herod the Great. His name was Herod Antipas. Now, you might remember the story of Herod Antipas. He had two brothers who sometimes were called Herod Philip. We're going to talk about the Herod Philip who was originally married to a woman named Herodias. And you remember the story. Herodias, through her daughter, asked for the head of John the Baptist. Rabbis, rabbis knew what you didn't do in this area. Rabbis knew not to talk about marriage and divorce in Herod's territory. So what does the Pharisees do? They put Jesus on the hot seat. Look at verse 2. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him. They're not interested in an answer. They're not 
posing this as a way to gain knowledge. They want to trap Jesus. They want to put him on the hot seat so they can have something to use against Jesus. Jesus is always a master of conversation. He answered and said to them, What? What did Moses command you? He turns their question into another question. They said, Moses permitted. Now, stop right there. Your version, your translation may say allowed. It may say permitted. It may say suffered. What's going on here? Moses had made an allowance. This was not what God intended. This was not what God desired. Moses threw inspiration because he knew the people. He had made this allowance. Now, why would God oppose divorce? Here is the rule, and please never forget this rule. God is against anything that hurts His children. And in divorce, there's a lot of hurt created. Like the story of the woman whose husband ran off with the young secretary, there's a lot of hurt. And God doesn't want to see His children hurt. So that was not what God intended. That's not what He intended. They say, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. Those Pharisees, they thought they had found a loophole in the law. Now in a moment, we're going to read Deuteronomy chapter 24, so go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Now, I'm going to tell you in advance, the old law did not actually permit divorce as such. It was not what God intended. It was not what God wanted. But an acknowledgement, an acknowledgement of the existence of divorce was made. The old law acknowledged that divorce was taking place and set some boundaries around it. Now, why is that important? The boundaries were important because they were designed to protect the wife for unscrupulous and abusive husbands. Well, the Pharisees had taken those words and they had twisted those words to fit their own personal needs. Now let's look at the passage. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor, circle that phrase, no favor, I'll come back to that, in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness, circle that, I'll come back to that in just a moment, gives her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. Wow. The Pharisees had an argument. There was two main schools of thoughts, two main rabbis, and they disagreed. One rabbi said, well, the only reason is adultery. If she 
committed adultery against you as the husband, you have a right to divorce her. Now, in a few moments, I'll talk more about how Jesus agreed with that. But first, let's go to the other school of thought. The other school of thought said, well, no favor, uncleanness, uh, uh, that means uh, anything that you don't like. If she burns the toast, you can get rid of her. If she doesn't uh, do the laundry the way you want it, you can get rid of her. Uh, whatever reason, if you don't like it, you have a right to get rid of her. Now, Jesus will not agree with this position. He will more line up with this other position. I'll explain in just a moment. Verse 5. And Jesus answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, it was not what God intended, it was not what God wanted, it was not what God desired. It was because of the hardness of the heart of mankind. He wrote you this precept. Moses gave it to you through inspiration because he knew the kind of people you are. That's the reason why he did it. It's not what God wanted. Moses, Moses had put in some boundaries there so Jewish men would not hurt their wives, abuse their wives. The Pharisees. The Pharisees were not interested in that. They were not interested in keeping the spirit of the law. They argued about the uh, letter of the law so they could get by with doing what they really wanted to do. That's what's happening here. They were looking for loopholes and people are still doing that today. Like the couple who approached their preacher, they really were looking for justification for their impending divorce. They wanted uh, to feel good about it, approval. So the preacher, he turns to the husband and says, well, in the Bible, in the book of Ephesians, Paul tells husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church. Can you do that? The husband said, oh no, there's no way I could ever do that. That's impossible. Well, the preacher said, well, if we can't have that level, maybe we can step it down a, a notch. Uh, you know, the Bible says that you're supposed to uh, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Can you love your neighbor as you love yourself? Can you apply that to your wife? Husband shook his head. Nope, I can't do that. That's still too high a level. The preacher, frustration, said, well, the Bible says love your enemies. Can you do that? <laughs> Can you love your enemies? I've seen it all. I'm a record keeper. Okay, that's one of the things I do. I like to keep records. In 43 years, I have worked with 1,208 couples. Now, actually, that number, since I made this slide, has jumped up to 1,210, but we'll use the numbers right here. Okay, the numbers as of a week ago. Out of that number, 868 of those couples are still married. That's 72%. Now, I would estimate that 1,097 couples came to me with a definite probability of divorce. Divorce was somewhat likely. Only 340 of them divorced. Why? I'm going to surprise you. 
It was definitely not me. Not me. I did not make the difference at all. What made the difference? I was able to show them how to put God in their marriage. You see, if God is a focal point of our marriage, our marriage automatically gets better. So how do we go about doing that? Well, let's now talk about Mark chapter 10. What do we do? Number one, we don't go looking for the loopholes. I want to promise you something. If you go looking for a loophole, you will think that you have found it. Did you notice what I said? You will think that you have found it. If you go looking for a loophole to get out of your marriage, you will think that you have found it. In other words, you'll convince yourself that you're right and your spouse is wrong. Don't go down that path. Don't go looking for the loopholes. Number two. Don't go looking for reasons to split. Instead, look for reasons to stay together. Remember that song? I mentioned it during class. Count your many blessings. Count the blessings of being married. Think about what your spouse does for you. Why do I begin every session? I think my couple sometimes get tired of this. I begin every session with the question, Tell me something good. Can you tell me something good about your spouse? And I make sure they don't repeat what they've already said at previous sessions. Tell me something good about your spouse. Why do I do that? Because I want them to count their blessings. I want them to look. I want them to look at their spouse as God's gift to you. God knew what He was doing when He brought me and Lisa together. Me and Lisa, we got together in a very unconventional way, okay? It started in a high school lab, then it went to a, a high school football field, and um, it just kind of all came together. I look at Lisa as God's gift to me. Would I want to turn down a gift? You know, if someone gives you a gift, what do you do? You thank them for it. You appreciate it. You say, I'm so thankful that you have given me this gift. Well, that's the way we should look at God's gift of our spouse to us. You want to find someone that will help you get to heaven. You don't want to marry for looks. You don't want to marry for money. You don't want to marry for excitement. You want to marry because that person will help you get to heaven will help you get to heaven. Don't go looking for reasons to split. Look for reasons to stay together. Picture your marriage as a, as a beautiful picnic. You're at a park. It's a, uh, it's a beautiful setting. There's a lake in front of you there, and you sit down, and you have a, a, a wonderful meal. But then you notice those mosquitoes, you know. <laughs> you notice those mosquitoes from the lake, you know, and they're all around you. Well, you can do two things. You can give up, pack up your meal, and leave. Or the two of you can work together to get rid of the mosquitoes. Now, guess what? 
there's things in your marriage that's going to drive your spouse up the wall. There's going to be things that he does, there's going to be things that she does that you don't agree with, that just bother you, that just irritate you. They're like little mosquitoes. You know, mosquitoes are not going to kill you. They just bother you. Well, those little things can bother you. Now, you can either work with your spouse to eliminate those mosquitoes of marriage, or you can give up, walk away. I want you to work to make it better. Don't go looking for reasons to split. Instead, look for reasons to stay together. Focus on the good parts. Count your many blessings. And then number three, look to the Lord. Verse six. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's what God intended. So that they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Why does God want us to be faithful to our spouse? Because that's a better home life for the children. A better opportunity for you to grow closer to Him. For you to grow more faithful. It's just better. That's the reason why God wants us to be faithful to our spouse. Because it is better. Because if not, then hurt can be created. We work on becoming one with our spouse as God planned it. Now, if you look over in Matthew chapter 19, you know that Jesus will say that adultery is the only reason for divorce. Now, let me say this. It doesn't mean that when your mate is unfaithful to you, it doesn't mean that you have to divorce. I have worked with couples that have had adultery happen in their marriage, and, and the, um, the one that was offended, the one that was innocent, was willing to forgive, and we worked to, to repair the marriage and make the marriage better. It doesn't mean that you have to give up. You can come out of that if you want to. But we don't give up. For any other reason. We don't give up. God designed marriage to be an unbreakable union between a man and his wife, a one flesh relationship. Now, that word for join there, it literally means to yoke together. Now, my dad, my dad farmed like this. Now, I started driving a tractor when I was six and a half. I worked hard. Well, I, grew, I worked hard growing up on the farm. All I've known is hard work. I'm very thankful, though, that I never had to do that. We had tractors, okay? He took over the family farm in 29. He farmed with horses and mules until 1949. Then he got tractors. I'm so thankful that he had tractors when I started, okay? Because I would not want to have to do that. But here's what's unique about horses and mules that you may not know. Did you know that a team of horses or mules can do more work together than they can separate? Did you know that? That's kind of odd, isn't it? But horses and mules 
yoked together, can do more work, can pull more pounds than separate. Now, why do I say that? Because you together, you can do more than separate, apart. You can do more together. Marriage, marriage not two people merely living for each other. It's two people uniting and joining hands to serve the Lord. Remember what I said? I said the reason to get married is because that person will help you on the road to heaven. If we want to divorce-proof our marriage, we must commit ourselves to God's design and God's will for our marriage. Now, remember, this message is for our young people. Those of us who are older, if this message hurts, I, I feel for you. But remember, this message is for them. We want them to have a happy marriage. We must commit. We must commit ourselves to staying together because that's what God wants, even though in those times we no longer want it. Because guess what? There will be times in your marriage that you will just want to almost shoot him or shoot her. Okay, there will be times when you are just fed up with it and just want to give up. Don't give up. Because you know God wants you in that marriage. You see, our marriage commitment is first of all to God, then to each other. Because there are times when we don't feel like staying together. That's so true. But we don't give up. Girls, marriage is kind of like... Um, Kind of like braiding hair. Did you know that if you try to braid hair, just break it into two parts and try to braid it, it doesn't work very well, does it? Uh-uh, shake your head. No, it doesn't work. You need to have what? At least three parts to braid. Marriage is stronger if, if it's three. If it's the husband, the wife, and God. The husband, the wife, and God. Now, I think we've all have heard that uh, about half of all marriages end in divorce. Actually, that is not true for everybody. Here is from a recent study. Couples who attend at least every Sunday morning worship, the divorce rate is only 41%. That's better than most people. But let's take it a step further. Couples who attend at least every Sunday morning and even worship service plus class, the rate falls all the way down to 29%. But I can make it even better. Couples who attend and get involved. They attend most all worship services and classes and church events, plus they're involved. The rate goes all the way down to 19%. I think that is a great testimony for attendance and involvement. The difference is not in just saying you're a Christian. The difference is in living it as a Christian. Are you willing to live it as a Christian? If we want to divorce-proof our marriages, we cannot be looking for reasons to separate. Instead, we must look to the Lord and be committed to staying together because we're committed to Him. If we want to divorce-proof our marriage, if we want to divorce-proof our marriage, there we go, we look only on our mates. One of the biggest problems we have in the church, and it's happening all through our congregations, 
is pornography. It's men and women looking at other men and women. We don't need that. We look at our mate as God's gift to us. We don't think that the grass is greener on the other side. No. Notice what Jesus said here. Verse number 10. In the house, his disciples also asked him again about the same matter. He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Because you're still originally married to the first one. If a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Why? Because she is really still married to the first one. We made a commitment. Jesus is clear. God wants us to live out our commitments because why? Because He doesn't want to see hurt. We shouldn't be thinking, well, maybe I married the wrong person. You know, I've had people say that to me. Maybe, I think, Michael, I just married the wrong person. When that has happened, I've shared this. That's not original to me, someone else who wrote it, but I believe in it. Notice what it says. I have no way of knowing whether or not you married the wrong person, but I do know that many people have a lot of wrong ideas about marriage and what it takes to make that marriage happy and successful. I'll be the first to admit that it's possible that you did marry the wrong person, However, if you treat the wrong person like the right person, you could well end up having married the right person after all. Furthermore, on the other hand, if you marry the right person and treat that person wrong, you certainly will have ended up marrying the wrong person. In conclusion, I also know that it's far more important to be the right kind of person that it is to marry the right person. In short, whether you marry the right person or wrong person is primarily up to you. You make your marriage whatever you want to make your marriage. If we want to live happily ever after, and that's what we want for our young people, then we must ask God to help us be the right kind of person. We must be faithful as God is faithful. In summary, number one, don't be looking for loopholes. Number two, don't be looking for reasons to split up. Number three, instead look to the Lord. Commit yourself to Him first. Number four, then be faithful to your spouse. Look only on Him or her. I want to end with a poem. I once thought marriage just took two to make a go. But now I'm convinced that it takes the Lord also. And not one marriage fails where Christ is asked to enter as lovers come together with Jesus at the center. But marriage seldom thrives and homes are incomplete till he is welcomed there to help avoid defeat. In homes where God is first, it's obvious to see those unions really work. For marriage still takes three. It's the husband. It's the wife. 
It's the Lord. That's what God wants. That's His ideal situation. Now, I want to talk to everybody. I've been primarily speaking to our young people. Right now, I want to talk to everybody. Are you a Christian today? I look out and I see people that I dearly, dearly, dearly love. Most of all of you are Christians, but some are not. This, these are not my words. If you have one of those red-letter Bibles, these words will be in red when you read them. It takes belief, it takes repentance, it takes confession, it takes baptism. Then you're a Christian. But sometimes as a Christian, we, uh, we don't live like we should. Do we need to seek forgiveness? 1 John 1, 9, the church stands ready to pray with you and for you, James 5, 16. Do you have a need to respond this morning? We'll have elders up here waiting for you to make that decision. We pray you will make that decision. Will you please come while we stand sing for your encouragement? Tis the fount of love from the source above, and he bids us.
Michael, brother, no, oh, sorry, let me on the people again. Thank you very much for a wonderful lesson today. It is, it is so true that um, our marriage is like being a Christian. Is a, can be a, is a struggle and can be a great joy. And, and thank you for that lesson, brother. Um, I know one announcement is we have a potluck today. Um, so make sure I am right on that, right? I got no reaction there. Yes, okay. You're right. Uh, have those, I know I'm right, question myself a lot. 
I attribute that to being married a lot. Anyway. Um, uh, what a beautiful day. What a great day. Again, it's, it's wonderful from my perspective to be up here, and it seems like every week there's more and more faces out there, um, and that is a great blessing. Um, are there any other announcements that we need to make? All right, let us pray.